Welcome to Talking With Tech. My name is Chris Bouguet, and I'm here as always with Rachel Madel. Rachel, aloha. Aloha, Chris. Now, so Rachel, I think um, people who follow you on social media may have seen that you were in uh, um, Hawaii. You were on vacation there, right? Yes, I am actually still in Hawaii. Um, I've been working remotely, which has been really awesome. And I took a vacation to Hawaii um, and just haven't have have been hanging out here. And it's been really awesome. I have, uh, yeah, I've been doing mostly of my work remotely still. I've been doing a lot of coaching and parent coaching and things like that. So what's so nice about that is that I'm able to do it from anywhere. So I've been hanging out at my friend. My friend has a condo in Oahu and um, have been hanging out here. That is super awesome. So real quick, tell us about the vacation, though. Tell us, uh, you know, give us, let us live vicariously through you. Those of us that uh, didn't get to go to Hawaii for vacation, what kind of stuff did you do? Oh, my gosh, it was amazing, Chris. So I've always wanted to go to Kauai and um, see the Nepali coast. So if you guys know anything about the Nepali coast, it's this super remote beach and like mountain backdrop and the only way you can get to it is by boat or helicopter or like a 10 mile hike. Um, so it's super remote and super beautiful. And um, I wasn't able to do the hike because there's like a 10 mile hike that you do to go and like you camp on the beach. It's like a whole thing. But the permits were gone. I, w- I woke up like every night at like midnight to like try to get permits to do this hike. But I still got to see a lot of the coast and I did a boat tour and did all these really fun things. And it was beautiful and gorgeous. And it was so nice to just like disconnect and relax. That sounds super fun. Now, while you were gone, we got a, um, when you're gone on vacation, right? We got an email from a Patreon uh, supporter that had some sort of um, uh, really robust questions that we thought we could bring up on the podcast here. You know, if uh, if someone belongs to Patreon, we kick them to the top of the, the question and answer list. And so we thought we would take some moments here to to catch up uh, with this with these questions and provide some answers uh, based on what the Patreon supporter wrote us. So this is, um, we're going to go through, I love that our Patreon members send us uh, emails, Chris, because I feel like um, it's a small kind of tight knit community we have over there in Patreon. And I feel like I know all of our Patreon members. Um, actually, we just was watching some AAC in the cloud uh, presentations and was seeing in the chat and I see names and I'm like, oh, they're a Patreon member, <laughs> which is really awesome. Uh, but anyway, let's dive into this question. So the first part of the question is, you know, this person's looking for strategies to help the educators that she works with understand AAC. So she kind of explains how, you know, she teaches these concepts, teaching how we want the user to be able to express whatever they want to express, um, you know, i.e. not telling them uh, what to do. And um, she says she's constantly having discussions about modeling, how important it is, um, what AAC is used for. Um, And she said she's feeling stuck in a hamster wheel because she feels like she's having the same conversations, modeling the same strategies and coaching the educators to the same situations again and again. So I feel like we can kind of remark on this first, Chris. At first, I feel like we can relate to you (laughs) because I feel like I have the same conversations all day long. Um, Granted, it's with different people because I work with a lot of different families and school teams and, um, you know, other professionals. Um, But I think that we're kind of saying the same things over and over again. I'm curious, Chris, what your thoughts are on this, because I feel like this is leading me to thinking about like our coaching uh, presentation that we give. Um, And so I'm curious to know what you're thinking over there. 
Well, you know, I'm wondering, maybe one of the reasons the, this particular person wrote us was so that they could use this episode. <laughs> hey, let me share this with other people. I hope people can listen to this episode and share it with others, um, or maybe this particular banter, because one of the first things that, that is said here is the educators are super excited that they have a new way to tell the user what to do all day long, <laughs> like sit and behave. The, it sounds like the uh, the first problem, there's there's many problems listed in this email, but if we broke, broke them down into their uh, significant parts, one of the first ones is that the, the thought of how people are using AAC is as a bullhorn to give students directions. Oh, great. Now I can... I'll model by telling kids what to do, and there's no quicker way to turn somebody off from AAC and and prevent them from learning language with that AAC by barking orders at them all day with it. Do you know what I mean? Um, it, it would totally have this negative con- connotation and association. So one strategy that perhaps this person has already tried, but I'll share on the podcast, is whenever I see something, and it's typically like on the homepage, which is like, the homepage is sacred. Like, don't mess with my homepage, <laughs> number one. Then I'll see, like, sit down or, like, give to me or, like, some phrase that I'm like, hmm, this is suspicious. <laughs> I know it's been programmed because the homepage didn't say that when I gave it to them. <laughs> and the first thing I'll ask is, like, oh, sit down. Is that something that you're finding that he wants to say a lot? He wants to tell people to sit down. (laughs) Like, I'll kind of play dumb. Like, hmm, is this something he really wants to say? (laughs) As a way to be like, oh, they're like, and and then they follow up like, no, actually, we've been using it as a way to show him how to sit down during circle time. And so my response is like, oh, so we want to make sure on that device that it's, we only, we're thinking about it as his voice, right? So we only want to encourage him to say the things that we anticipate he might want to say. Um, so if we don't think he wants to tell people to sit down, that's not something that's super motivating, then um, that's not how we should be using the device. Uh, the other thing I'll couple that with is using visual support. So I'll kind of follow that discussion up with, it is really beneficial when we're trying to get uh, children to understand how to follow directions like sit down, by giving those visual supports. So maybe that's what you were thinking is like the visual supports can be super helpful to help them learn how to, you know, follow that direction. But instead of doing that on the device, my suggestion would be to create some like cue cards that you could put on like a a key ring or something like that, where you can give that visual support. So again, we're teaching it separate from the child's voice. Now, a third strategy there is that likely the reason that they're giving so many commands to the student and like sit down um, or uh, look or listen is that the student is not doing those things. Um, I don't know the student, right? But I'm going to guess it's not because of the student's lack of receptive language. Like the student probably understands what those words mean, but it's likely more uh, behavior, not listening um, or not sitting, choosing not to do those things. And one way to um, to help with that situation is to not give so many demands in the first place and follow the student's lead. Um, so often it's about compliance. You have to comply with me, the adult, telling you what to do. Well, I don't want to do what you want to do. Well, I'm going to, even if you showed a visual or I set it on a device, it's not going to change the, the, the idea that I don't want to do the thing you're asking me, well, really telling me to do. So I, as the adult in the situation, 
Maybe I don't need you to sit. Maybe I can follow your lead. And maybe I can show you what listening looks like by listening to you, you know, um, and that is so often uh, not the case, you know, it's often the, the the flip of that where, you know, you come into my classroom and I'm the one in charge, you know, but when you put the learner first and you're actually kind of following their lead and that don't get me wrong, I'm not saying there aren't times when the student, you know, obviously for safety reasons is one, one where the student absolutely has to, to listen to the adult. But if you think about the ratio of commands um, to, um, to listening to the the student uh, or following a student's lead, if you were to just document that for an hour in a classroom and then multiply that times six for each hour that someone might be in a classroom, you start to realize how heavily weighted we are over on the giving directives and expecting these following directions and just put your own self in that situation. If, if, if someone was constantly telling you what to do, well, maybe I'll speak for myself. If someone was constantly telling me what to do, the more I'd want to push back, you know, the more I would want to uh, buck the system and be like, nah, I have my, I have my own agency. I'm my own person. I'm going to do what I think is, is right. You know? And I think oftentimes teachers forget, educators forget, because you hear this phrase a lot, you know, uh, it's, it's the job of the student to go to school. Well, students don't get paid to be there. We get paid to be there. They're often there and they don't have a choice of being there. So keeping that in mind that we're the ones choosing to be there can help shift that ratio and, and help shift that mindset. Completely agree. When you were talking about how you don't like being told what to do all day long, it reminds me of when I'm in the car with my mom and she's like being a backseat driver. <laughs> and I'm like, please stop telling me what to do. And she's like, mm, like I think you may you make a left here. I think we should take this, this road instead of this one. I think this will be faster. I think you made a wrong turn. I think you should do this. I'm like, can we cool it? I'm driving. I'll figure it out. I'm an adult. <laughs> so I feel like that's a, a very like, hopefully real world example that people can relate to. Because I feel like as adults, we're not used to being told what to do all day long. We forget what it's like to have that like constant like nagging of like, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, right? <clears throat> People like to feel like they have autonomy. Kids like to feel like that. And they're more likely to learn and grow if you give them the autonomy to figure out how they want to learn, right? Well, you know what you should do, Rachel? You know what you should do? Let me tell you what you should do. What you should do is lead us into the interview and we'll continue on with this email next time. Okay, so I had the pleasure of interviewing Kate McLaughlin. She is better known, I think, in the world of AAC as the AAC coach. Um, she has created uh, amazing visuals um, all about AAC, how to teach AAC, and um, super excited to share my interview with her. Um, she brought a lot of really great ideas. Um, wasn't super su surprised because she has such amazing content. Um, and I'm really excited to share the interview that I did with her. Kate McLaughlin is actually in the book, Inclusive Learning 365, uh, EdTech Strategies for Every Day of the Year. She's got our whole, she's used as an example um, as one of the strategies, something that she does. So uh, I hope that's enough of a teaser. If you want to go check that out, she's, she's got her own page in the book. Wow, that's amazing. And I'm super excited for your book, Chris. You showed us yesterday, you were unboxing the, uh, your, your book. So your books came in, finally. 
Yeah, it was super exciting. I was presenting at AAC in the cloud and the doorbell rang like 10 minutes before the uh, before the session. So I got the box and I was I didn't even open it. I opened it right there during at the beginning of the session. So if you want to see the the authentic excitement of of getting the books that you've been that I've been working on with the co-authors for for a long time now, see that payoff and actually hold it in my hands. You you could see it live by watching uh, going to my session our session with uh, AEC in the cloud. I feel like I am super personally invested in this book for some reason. I think just because I've seen all of the the hours and hours that you've put in, Chris, and I've known how much you've worked on this, and I feel like I've been a part of the process. And so I feel like I was super excited. <laughs> Maybe not as excited as you. Beth, Beth was in the audience, and she was super excited. <laughs> um, but anyway, I'm super excited to get my book. You guys should definitely pre-order it. We'll put the link in the show notes. Um, I can't tell you, Chris, how excited I am to actually get that book in my hands because I feel like it's going to change not only the way that I practice, but also the the help and support I can give to the classrooms that I'm, you know, supporting and the parents. And I'm just really excited. So definitely check the book out, guys. It's it's coming out soon. I feel like it told me it was going to come in August. Is that true? Uh, it should be here like any week now. So yeah, yeah, it's before August. I think July people will have it. So if you order it. You should get it sometime in July. And then you can go hunt down and find the strategy that features Kate McLaughlin. Okay, so without further ado, we're going to head into my interview with Kate. If you love listening to this podcast, we would be so, so grateful for your support to keep it going. By becoming a Patreon member, you can not only help us cover the cost of this podcast, but you can get some really great bonus content as well. We post video tutorials, behind-the-scenes recordings, and bonus segments from our interviews. We would love for you to join us by going to patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. That's patreon.com slash talkingwithtech. Welcome to Talking With Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, and I'm joined today by Kate McLaughlin. Kate, I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Can you start off by just like telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. So um, I am a speech language pathologist. Uh, I specialize in augmentative and alternative communication. I am in private practice in Connecticut um, and working primarily in um, with families and school districts. So I do a mix of direct service and consults and um, and have been diving into the online social media stuff um, with the AAC coach page. Um, yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. <laughs> I feel like too, Kate, I should have introduced you as the AAC coach because I feel like your like following has grown exponentially. All the social media content that you put out is so helpful and so useful and people are sharing it left and right. And so I feel like you're probably really known as the AAC coach. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's a little funny for me, but yeah, it does seem to, yeah, people have said that in presentations and the, yeah, well, yeah, it's great. <laughs> yeah. No, it is. And I like, I just appreciate like all of like the branding that you've done around that and just like all the useful information. Um, Cause I feel like it's hard um, when you're trying to convey something in like a medium, like social media, it's like, you know, you want to like give a lot of value and like a 
a lot of like rich content, but it's like, you feel kind of limited by like, how, like, how do I do that? And I feel mm-hmm. like you've actually done a really excellent job of like putting a lot of really helpful information on the image itself mm-hmm. um, in a way that's like easy to read. I'm like, I'm just like from like a, like, you know, design perspective, I feel like all of your stuff looks really great. And it's also super useful because it's not just like a bite-sized like sentence or quote or something like that. It's like really very like in depth. Yeah. My intention with the site was really to do that, to make some of the information and um, more accessible and, um, you know, I am not a particularly artistic person or great with design. I'm lucky to have a sister who is. And so she's given me feedback. Um, But my hope is that they're used as references, right? So trying to have a one sheet um, strategy to share with the family or share with the classroom, like, let's try, you know, to work on this, you know, for a while. Um, That's the intention behind it so that it becomes more of a resource than it is at the, you know, the social media kind of um, content. Well, and yeah, and what's really awesome about social media is it's so easy to share, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like so easy to just hit that little arrow and like send it off or put it in a story and like repost. And so I feel like what you've done is like taken a lot of really rich content and made it easy for people to share and access um, in a way that's really easy to digest because Mm -hmm. there's a lot of information about AAC out there. Um, But I think sometimes it just feels overwhelming for people who don't know about it. Um, I think so too. And I think for a lot of people, they learn... I speak speaking for myself anyway, when I'm trying to dig into a new topic, if I can have just little chunks frequently, it's so much easier for me to take it in and really integrate it into my thinking than it is if I listen to a, a you know, an hour long webinar or, um, so all that information is really, really great, but sometimes having it just kind of seep in over time is, is, <laughs> is helpful. Yeah. And I feel like there's actually research to support that. Like I don't know what the percentage is that you take away from like an hour training, but it's not very high, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like really nice to just have that kind of like little bits of exposure every single day when you're following someone who's, you know, providing really great content. Um, so I think it's awesome. And I also think that like the ability to share information in a way that's easy to digest is so great for parents too. Mm-hmm. Um, like we, I like made, I've made the mistake many times with parents of just like, you know, just sharing way too much all at once. I'm like, okay, let me tell you about core words. Let me tell you about modeling. Let me tell you about all these Mm -hmm. things. And they're like, whoa, like this is too much. Um, And so it's nice to have those resources to kind of share like, you know, over time. Yeah. 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 I think so too. Um, So yeah, that's been the intent behind the site. So I'm glad if it's having that impact on folks. It is. And I would definitely recommend if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't started following the AAC coach, you definitely want to. Kate shares really awesome information and um, I'm really excited. I'm always like, what's Kate going to share next? Um, Speaking of what you're sharing, I feel like a common thread with some of the content that you share, Kate, is this idea of connection and interaction. Um, You know, obviously there's technical aspects of AAC implementation and all the things that we should be doing as providers. uh, But I wanted to talk a little little bit with you today about like that connection piece. Um, Mm -hmm. So can you kind of speak to your experience with AAC users um, and like how you can facilitate more connection and interaction? And then even more so, like how do we get teams on board with this idea of like interaction and connection? Yeah, yeah. So I mean, I think um, over many years of doing AAC now, it's so easy to get bogged down right in the technology or the lesson planning. And and really what we're trying to do is teach a means for connection. So, you know, 
I really look to that as the foundation for everything else. <laughs> so um, if we are connecting with our learner and we're using the AAC in the context of that connection and you're having a, an interaction with them, regardless of what modality they're communicating through, right? Mm -hmm. They don't have to be using the AAC. We're just using it um, to talk to them and about the things that are important to them in the context of that that connection. So I, I really see it as a critical piece. We can do all the core stuff. We can do all the, you know, teaching the operational company. We can do all of that stuff. But if we don't do it with a foundation of connection, it's a lot of wasted energy, right? A lot yeah. of it will get missed by our learner. Mm -hmm. um, and, and also, I feel like it's not likely to generalize. So it's like if you're not engaging, a, you know, a student in something that they're really interested in and motivated to communicate about, like, sure, they might be able to go through the motions and memorize the word that they think you they want you to say, you know, but I feel like it's 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 wasted energy because it's not going to generalize to something that's meaningful and relevant to the child. Right. And I think you said something really important there um, in terms of what they think you want them to say. Right. Yeah. Our, our goal here in all of this, it should be <laughs> communication autonomy, meaning mm -hmm. uh, and that um, that terminology, to my knowledge, comes from Gail Porter, but um, being able to say what I want to say, when I want to say it, to whomever I want to say it, and however I want to say it. She's added that more recent, you know, more mm -hmm. recent years. And I think that that's a really critical piece. So if, if that's our goal, then we can't have something we want them to say. We want to be fostering them, uh, fostering interactions with them and letting them communicate within that, um, that idea of autonomy. So um, it's really about trying to foster that connection, embed AAC into it, um, and help them learn in that context so that they're not seeing AAC as something related to something they have to comply with mm -hmm. or um, something that feels like work, but rather it's, you know, hey, here's this person or all the, all the people in my life and I have these great relationships with them and they use this AAC stuff too and it looks like it's helpful and I'm gonna give it a go and then we kind of go from there. Um, but I think if if our learners feel like um, they have to do something or they have to say something, um, we're really on the wrong path. <laughs> I think we, we really need to be looking at how do we help um, build connection um, first and foremost. So I'm not sure that answered your question. I know you're wondering a little bit about how do we do that. Um, yeah. But, um, don't worry, Kate. I'm going to ask a lot of follow-up questions. I'm going to get to the bottom of how we do that. <laughs> um, I wanted to speak to what you mentioned, the however I want to say it, um, because I think what that speaks to is multimodality. Um, thinking about communication as multimodality. Um, so can you speak a little bit about your experience with how do you approach multimodal communication and um, even recognize it? Because I feel like sometimes clinicians are so focused and, and not just clinicians, parents, the whole team is so focused on the use of this device that they, they don't even recognize what children are communicating with us already. Um, right. So can you kind of speak to like, how do we build those skills within ourselves to even recognize when students are communicating? Right. Well, I think first for me, the learning curve was understanding that AAC wasn't my goal. <laughs> I think that, you know, there's, there's a feeling of, 
um, when we go to AAC that, it, you know, we're there to teach AAC. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that can take over our attention as um, therapists, as interactive partners. And mm-hmm. so understanding more that my goal is successful communication. My goal is to foster autonomy. Um, and, and so because of that, I um I'm open to anything that this learner is doing. Right? I'm just looking for any kind of, um, it can be super subtle, um, it can be more obvious, but it doesn't matter to me. I'm really there to follow their lead and get to know them really well um, using whatever modality they um, they want to use in that moment. And for some kids, that's super, super uh, subtle, like an, you know, I gaze over to something and, and just mm-hmm getting in with them, moving at their pace. Mm-hmm. So I think sometimes we are in a rush because we have things we want to accomplish. Oh, and for our learners who have more complex bodies um, and just getting through the day for them is a lot more complex and, and they're dealing with the load of that. I think we need to just slow down and be with them first and foremost so that we can learn what's important to them and and. Um, catch those very, very small communication initiations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, because that becomes then the foundation of what you can talk about. So if you notice that they often look over at something, then, oh, I'm going to talk about that, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, or, um, you know, they go and stand by the door. That's a more obvious one, but um, just taking a look at, well, how are they communicating now? What are they Mm -hmm. telling me? And Mm -hmm. then uh, how can I connect with them on that meaning Mm -hmm. um, and model language um, on on the device that reflects that? I think think, um, the other piece of learning for me, um, as I've been lucky enough to follow some really complex kids over long periods of time, is how much time it takes to really get to know kids. Mm -hmm. And as therapists, we're often, um, you know, under the pressure of, of goals and, uh, um, you know, sessions. and But as much as we can partner with families and really dig in and um, get to know each other, <laughs> um, the more effective our, um, our teaching can be. Yes, I completely relate to that because I feel like, I think there's this idea that like we need to see progress right now or like we're not doing the right thing or it's not the right system. And like we get really hung up on this idea of fast progress. Um, And so I love what you're talking about as far as like partnering with families. And um, I'm curious, do you have any like ways that you talk to parents about like the fact that it can take some time? Because I feel like what happens is we feel pressure as clinicians to feel like we need to be showing this is working because sometimes it's even hard to get families bought into this whole idea of AAC. Um, So how do you like talk to families? You know, I think that it's a real, um, it's it's a really important question and I'm not sure that it's one that I 100% have the answers yet because I think that families come to us with different, um, levels of ready <laughs> to dive into an AAC journey. And so um, I really try and do um, a lot of education around the why, right? Mm-hmm. So understanding what are, what is our long-term goal for this mm-hmm. learner and why is it so important um, that we provide access to, um, you know, certain types of experiences or certain types of communication mm-hmm. modalities so that we can achieve that long-term goal, right? So if if we're 
instead of thinking, I want them to be able to ask for the, what they want, or I want to know what they think right now, understanding, having that long-term vision of, I want them to be able to share what's on their mind. Um, you know, I want them to have, you know, long-term um, the ability of self-determination and say what they, you know, what they want for their life. With that long-term vision, then it's a little easier to, um, to have the conversation around, well, that's why we need to, our first steps in, you know, implementing AAC are going to be just carrying it around and getting comfortable with making sure I always have it with me. Mm-hmm. And, and so I think that parents, the parents that I um, have had that have been most successful, the family units, I should say, um, are the, the ones that can kind of look in that long-term trajectory. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one thing. And I, I think the other thing um, I learned from the pod trainings and uh, Gail Porter's work and Linda Burkhart's work um, is the understanding of layering habits. So um, when we start rolling out an AAC system, uh, we don't need to jump to the kid expressing themselves right away. You know, we can, we can take our time and get comfortable carrying the system with um, with us, we can take our time and get comfortable just modeling certain sections of the um, of the system. Because the goal, right, if connection is the foundation of everything, is that we want to build um, fluency and naturalness in using the system. Mm-hmm. So um, we want it to be um, easy enough that people can continue the. Um, that natural interaction, that multimodal interaction, and the AAC doesn't totally um, disrupt that, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I think that in terms of working with parents to, to stop and say, it's okay if what you accomplish this week, next week is just a small little step, um, because we're going to layer them on over time. And that's really, I often say to parents, it's like a year in that you look back and you say, oh, wow. <laughs> you know, such and such was hard for me, but um, with really, really tiny steps, um, you can really get um, pretty far. Yeah, I love um, the quotes, uh, small, like, wins add up to big change, right? Mm -hmm. So this idea that, like, it doesn't feel like a lot, but, like, little steps forward consistently adds up to big change over time. Um, And I think it's hard, like, I oftentimes will use video as a way to showcase progress. So it's like, let's just take a like journey back a year ago where we were at. And right. it's like, parents are like, whoa, like, I can't believe it. Um, you know, I think we're restless to see change happen quickly, but right. oftentimes it's like, we don't even realize how much change has actually happened. Um, right. And so I think that it's really important to kind of show showcase those small wins and yes. like see like, Hey, look how far we've come with all these small wins over time. Yeah. And I think that that, and I actually had a post on that at some point in time, but, um, you know, celebrating those small wins with families to let them know that like, if all, you know, if you learn to model something new today, or you remembered the system, like let's, let's pause and celebrate that because I think particularly in the early stages of AAC, it's daunting and there isn't a lot coming back to families that reinforce for them that this is this is a the right path so uh, I think stopping and and celebrating those small steps too and saying this was awesome yeah (laughs) look what you did Mm -hmm. exactly and I feel like parents sometimes are like oh it is (laughs) and I'm like it is like yeah and I think that like that's our role as clinicians right is to like really empower like 
parents and communication partners to like keep going. Um, mm-hmm. Like you said, we'd always get a lot back from our learners in the, the initial stages of AAC. Um, and so it can feel like, is this working? Like, am I like, is this a waste of time? Yeah, um, and I should say, we don't get a lot back from them in terms of their use of AAC necessarily. Yes. If we're engaged in, in that really good connection and interaction, they're still, uh, you know, communicating with us and we're getting that, um, that back and forth. But yeah, they're not necessarily going to be using their device right away. And so it's important for us to, to um, celebrate what is going really well, because like I said, um, it's the long term, right? You'll hear that a lot. It's the marathon, not the sprint. (laughs) It it really, it really is. So um, it's really about those small habits over a long time. I'm curious. um, I'm just thinking, uh, like, as we're talking, um, I think, kind of to summarize, we're talking about like slowing down the pace, like really being patient, um, celebrating these small wins. Um, I know, you know, we already talked about the fact that clinicians feel like pressure from these goals. Is there a way that you've found to write goals so that you can feel like you're making progress? I mean, obviously there's this idea of like a long-term goal and then breaking it down into short-term goals, but I'm thinking more through the lens of like multimodal communication. Um, Are there things and ways that you write goals so that you're able to like better, like detail progress and take data? It's, it's tricky. And it's something that I um, have, have kind of gone back and worked, (laughs) reworked and reworked over time. You know, I think that um, for me, a lot of it stems, ideally, you're talking about a a full team approach, that's all everybody's um, moving forward with communication in a similar way, so that um, it's not all on (laughs) this speech session um, to see progress. It's really, I really like, particularly my most emergent kids to have like a communication log or an ongoing language sampling, Mm -hmm. because their their use may be infrequent enough that I, I can have everything they said that day um, and and that be my what I measure progress by but um, so ideally with it being kind of all day um, you know and all the time approach mm-hmm. um, I'm looking at goals like um, maybe participation in um, some some form of shared enjoyment right mm-hmm. that, that can we look to see um, I think and again so much of these emergent goals particularly depends so much on communication partners so you know we're writing goals for students but a lot of it has to do with communication partner shifting so um, it, that might be getting to know that student and doing things that they're finding meaningful and getting in there and engaging with them on whatever um, they seem to be uh, thinking about or responding to um, so but per- participation in shared or participation in um, shared reading activities, any place, because really in those initial stages, what we want is for them to be um, meaningfully interacting and for AAC to be be modeled during that. So if we can um, take the pressure off the kid (laughs) demonstrating, but more than being a part of those interactions, I think that's one way to look at it. Um, I think also, instead of um, looking at language coming from the AAC system, looking more at initiations um, uh, of communication, Mm -hmm. be it um, 
what you know whatever mode <laughs> that the student is expressing themselves and, and and AAC obviously being one of those but looking for the frequency with which they're expressing themselves um, how many different partners are they expressing themselves with um, how many different settings is that happening in because again going back to a lot of the communication partners behaviors need to change um, and so if I can see that they're communicating with more people or they're, you know, they're doing it in more than one place during the day, then I have a sense of, well, this is really growing for them and it's, uh, um, it's having the, the effect we're hoping to have. But I, I, I look for um, change above baseline and, um, and, you know, Ideally, all of our work is communication for real reasons, not yeah. contrived, right? Which can mm -hmm. be, um, there can be a lot of pressure on therapists mm -hmm. to get the data and show the progress. And, and that tends to lead us towards contrived opportunities. Mm -hmm. But um, if we're looking across their day and we have goals that are looking for um, partners or settings, then, um, then we can um, relax a little bit, take the pressure off of everybody, um, and look for um, look at the progress that way. Mm -hmm. So I completely agree with all the things you just said. Um, what would you say to you know a team member or another clinician who's like, yeah, but they're just like not motivated by anything. They just like they're not into anything. I try. Um, like, what would you say to the person? I'm sure, I'm sure we've all heard that person. We've yeah. all talked to that person, right? Yeah. So what yeah. would you say to that person, Kate? Yeah. <laughs> well, I think what I've learned over time is to take a step back and look at either um, what is the person's overall regulation, right? How comfortable are they in their environment? Um, how comfortable are they with the people? You know, what about, how can we make their day or their life as comfortable as possible so that they can relax a little, you know, relax and um, show, I don't want to say like they have to show us <laughs> more, but that they're, you know, that they're just able to do um, more because there's not as many demands on them in the environment. So making sure that um, students are, you know, feeling comfortable um, in their setting and, and understanding that that looks different for different bodies and different brains, right? So really trying to be open to different perspectives as to what, what does feeling good and comfortable look like for the individual student. So because sometimes it's, it's stress <laughs> that's keeping them from showing you what they're interested in or, you know, making them feel comfortable enough, relaxed enough to do that. The other piece I think that um, I've learned over time is take a step back and make sure you're not underestimating the student. Mm -hmm. um, because a, a lot of our, our kids in really complex bodies have um, been doing the same thing for a long time. And there's mm -hmm. just not a lot to talk about when you do the same thing over and over again. And one of the things from my learning, and I'm gonna just say Gail Porter over and over again here, but. Um, in, in a training I took with her, she, she um, talked about how in typical development, um, kids move their parents, was the um, forward in their understanding of them through their language and, and, and surprising them, right? Sh mm -hmm. Saying something that the parent didn't expect. And then as a parent, you adjust your understanding of your child based on what they've said to you. Mm -hmm. And for our kids with super complex bodies um, who don't have easy access to communication, um, that that kind of back and forth doesn't necessarily happen or doesn't happen as much. And so it's our job as partners to 
to kind of look to offer more things, offer things that we might not think they'd be interested in so mm -hmm. that um, they're exposed to more. There's more novelty, more to be interested in. Um, and I've had, you know, I've had students who, um, you know, were reading very young stuff at school over and over again, and then come to find out they're into Marvel movies, right? At home and they sit and they watch the whole thing. And it's like, well, we got to take a step back and see what are they, what are they interested in? Cause maybe we're just missing the boat. And I think that happens for a lot more students than we realize. Mm -hmm. So I think the two things I look at are regulation. <laughs> are we underestimating them? Um, and, and again, making sure that you're slowing down and being with them, really being present to who they are, not who you want them to be. Yeah, I think that that last point, like who they are, not who you want them to be is like the, the, I wish that like we could talk about that with like everybody, right? And like in a way that everybody understands is like we're trying to like oftentimes push all of our ideas about what language should look like and what communication for this child should look like. And um, ultimately it's like, we could try to do that. And like, but it's not like a good, it's not a good use of our energy. Um, so I feel like that is really, that really resonates with me just because I think it's just like, we need to like stop making it all about us, right? It's like, true, yeah. It's not about us. And right. I think the hard part is like, kind of trying to get parents to do that because parents like, are like, I want my child to do this. I want my child to do this. And it's like, like having those conversations like over time, cause it's not like a one and done kind of conversation. Right. Um, really just like integrating this idea that like, we want to help them communicate whatever is in their brain. Even if that means they're talking about the same thing over and over again, even if that means that like, it's something that like maybe isn't functional. And I'll put that in air quotes. Right. Um, I feel like we need to start there with our kids so that like we build trust and rapport and we, yeah. like, show them like, I'm here to help you say whatever you want to say. Right. Um, instead of the opposite. Right. And I think as a field, um, we need to do a better job of how we present. I think, I think a lot of parents having had interactions with professionals year after year and, and they kind of get in the uh, the therapy talk and they get in the, you know, the therapy goals and their thinking is impacted by, you know, it's that medical model versus social model. Their, their thinking becomes impacted by um, the focus on disability rather than the focus on connecting with this kid that's in front of us and having an interaction with them that um, we all enjoy and get allows us to know each other better. Um, and so part of that is, and, and it's a journey for parents uh, and that's totally understandable. But I think as professionals, if we are kind of focusing more on that connection uh, mm -hmm. rather than, you know, this is the diagnosis, this is deficits, this is what I'm working on, um, focus more on the connection first before we get, get too focused on our, our targets. <laughs> Totally. And I think it just circles back to this idea of like letting off the pressure valve for like your goals and your targets, writing goals in a way that hopefully give more flexibility for that connection and interaction. Right. Um, because ultimately, like, I think that's what drives it is this like fast pace, like we need to make progress. Parents need to see us make progress. Like there's like a lot of pressure. Pressure um, on everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah and, on then, everybody. and then we transfer that pressure to the kids that we're working with. Mm -hmm. um, and so it's just like, everyone needs to take a deep breath and mm -hmm. like realize that this is a process and a process sometimes that takes a little bit of time, um, but it's worth investing that extra energy and effort and giving the space because ultimately like, 
we're not trying to just like create like situations where kids are like have memorized language and like, you know, all of this like repetitive types of, of communication. Um, the whole point is connection. Like mm-hmm. that's the whole point of what we do. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like as a field, we need to step back and be like, why are we even doing speech therapy? We're doing right. it so that people right. we work with can connect with the, those around them. And right. so I feel like we've lost touch, you know, <laughs> all the goals and protocols and all the things we've done, like we've yeah. lost it. Right, right. And I think that um, that kind of goes into this, uh, you know, conversation about um, immersive aided language as much as possible, right? It just getting away from, uh, you know, we're doing therapy, right? We're, we're therapists. That's what we're, we're there to do is to try and support the communication. But um, starting to break out of like, what does therapy look like? Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't have to look like, you know, you working one-on-one pull out. It, it can be more of a, um, be it a coaching model or, um, you know, just again, take the pressure off and, and allow it to be what, whatever works for the student that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. I actually just had a conversation with a family this morning and they like didn't understand like my process, which is like mostly coaching. And they were like, but we don't understand. Like, you're not going to come here or like see him regularly. And like, and it was like so hard for them to wrap their head around. Like, mm-hmm. it's just this idea of like doing something different. He's like, wait, so you're just going to talk about things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, like we're going to talk about them together. Like we're going to use videos to talk about how we can interact in a way that's more meaningful. I'm going to coach you through these strategies. And it just like is so foreign to people. Um, yeah, but I mean, how freeing for the kid too. I mean, I think some of our kids, particularly our most complex kids, spend so much time in therapy, and it's like well, therapy is not life, and nor should it be. And so, um, being able to support the families or you know teachers um, who are in in doing the fun stuff, <laughs> so that our kids can be doing. Not that you know we don't try and make it as fun as possible, but um, let them have as you know typical and experience as possible. That's what, you know, gives you a life worth talking about. Totally. And I just, sometimes I'm like in some of my sessions that are more like direct treatment. And I think like, uh, like, is this going to generalize? Like I have this like sinking feeling, like, I just like, I want to be doing more with the families, but you know, inevitably some families are like, no, we want you to work directly. And like, you know, we're kind of limited by what a family is showing us they need and saying what they want. Um, You know, we can say all day long, like this is the most effective model. And like, if parents don't buy in, like, yeah, you, you do your best, right? We yeah, can. <laughs> yeah. But, but I, but, but I definitely have, yeah, that like sinking feeling, like, oh, like this isn't the best thing we could be doing right now. But like, right. I guess it's better than not doing anything. <laughs> I do. I, it, it absolutely is, and I think you know, again, I um, my interest is kind of our most complex kids, or you know, um, and I think that for them, having somebody, even if it is um, for a short period of time a week, um, somebody who really wants to get them and wants to give them the time that can be really really meaningful for um for those individuals of course we want to be growing that so they don't you know I've had students who've saved messages over the week and it's like heartbreaking because Mm -hmm. you know I want them that to be growing for them but you know it does still have a big impact if you can be connecting Mm -hmm. with that that one kid during that time yeah and also like showing 
communication partners how to make those connections, right? Yes. And like explaining yeah. the process of like, look, like he's looking over there. I think he like might be interested in that book that we just put down, um, you know, really right. like teaching communication partners how to foster those interactions. Cause I think part of it is like, they don't understand like how a lot of people don't understand how to connect with a child who's not talking, like yes. just in general, like children who are not talking verbally. It's like, how do I connect with them? How do I like have conversations when they're not talking back at me? Right. right. So it's like a lot of training on like those subtleties that like over time, like you or I probably have just like started doing naturally because like, mm -hmm. we're just like investigators, like what does this child mm -hmm. want to say? What are they interested in? But it's like, it's almost hard as a clinician to take a step back and be like, what do I actually do? Right. <laughs> you know? like, what is my right. process? I'm like, right. how do I do this? <laughs> We've right. learned to kind of do it intuitively. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think if we can like, talk about our clinical decision-making in real time with families, um, you know, talk about the things we're observing. Um, it just can help to like allow communication partners to start thinking through that lens too. It's the same, you know, it's think alouds, right? Yeah. <laughs> we do it for kids. Um, when we're teaching AAC, uh, we do it, you know, just giving access to our process to people. I mean, you can learn so much just by watching and hearing somebody else talk about their process. Totally. Kate, thank you so much for coming on today. You have been wonderful. I'm super excited to share this episode. How can people get in touch with you? Obviously follow the AAC coach. Um, is it like, what's the best way to get in touch with you? Is it email? Is it social media? So um, I do, I try and keep up with the social media I'm on Facebook and um, Instagram, one little thing on YouTube, but I, um, you, you can get me through those platforms. I do have a website, which is www.theaacoach.com. So there's email access on there. So you can get me there too. But Amazing. Any of those is fine. Yeah. So we'll definitely link to those in the show notes. Again, thank you so much for coming, Kate. It was such a great conversation. I feel like you're going to have to come on. Come on again and we'll keep talking interaction <laughs> and connection. Good. <laughs> Sounds good. Thanks so much. Of course. So for Talking With Tech, I'm Rachel Madel, joined by Kate McLaughlin. Thank you guys so much for listening and we'll talk to you guys next week.